Greetings. In today's sermon, I would like to speak about the importance of a godly reputation. I'd like to begin by asking just a few questions. Does our reputation reflect our true character? This is something that's worth thinking about. We all have a character, and God is aware of our true character, but we also all project a reputation. And right or wrong, people see us and they see our reputation, and that reputation may or may not reflect our true character. Related to that question, another question as we begin the sermon, are we ever a little hypocritical? No one wants to be accused of being hypocritical, of course, but there is that human tendency to try to put your best foot forward, so to speak, to to look uh, a certain way to be acceptable among a certain group of friends or at work or so forth or at school, and maybe to behave a certain way in one setting and perhaps behave a certain way in a different setting. So do we try to project a different reputation in some settings and a different reputation in other settings? Another question as we begin the sermon, how does our reputation reflect the church? And how does our reputation reflect Jesus Christ, our Lord, and God, our Father? For those of us who are baptized and converted, we should have Christ living in us. So how does our reputation reflect Christ living in us? The sermon today is about character, but I've titled it The Importance of a Godly Reputation because I would like to focus a little more specifically on that aspect of the topic, our reputation and the importance of a godly reputation. But again, it is important to understand that our reputation is a reflection of our character and that fundamentally and most importantly, character is what must be striven to develop and improve and to grow into a godly uh, character. It's our character that's most important. I'd like to discuss first God's perspective on reputation. Let's turn to a couple scriptures. Proverbs 22 verse 1 is a familiar scripture to many of us. Proverbs 22 verse 1 tells us that a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. Here God is revealing that a good name or a good reputation, which again should reflect our character, That is more important than wealth. That is more important than great riches. Back in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 7, just to again illustrate God's opinion on reputation and how important our reputation and our character is to God. Proverbs 10, verse 7 tells us that the memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. That's very interesting. Here God is revealing Uh, that those who have died, those who have died and had good works and and a good reputation, their their name, their memory will be blessed. Now, there are, of course, thousands and billions of people that have died over the the, the centuries, and and, and many of those people are, are not remembered. Many of those people are not remembered, humanly speaking, but God remembers them. God remembers them. And so the memory of the righteous is blessed. It's, it's remembered as a blessing. They are remembered as a blessing by their friends and family and those who knew them. But, of course, God remembers them, and that's what is most important. But the name of the wicked will, will rot. So very important uh, warnings and, and encouragement from God that our reputation matters. Ecclesiastes 10 Verse 1 is another scripture I'd like to turn to as we begin the sermon. Ecclesiastes 10, verse 1. This is a very sober warning, I believe. Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. What does this have to do with reputation? Well, the answer is alluded to in the second part of of the verse, Ecclesiastes 10, verse 1. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. That's very interesting, I I think. Uh, Just as a very expensive bottle of perfume, and of course back in the biblical times, 
uh, perfume was often extremely expensive. It was very um, uh, uh, exotic oils often, <clears throat> and the process to make the perfume, to make the oil, was, was, was laborious. And so it would not be uncommon for the wealthy people in, in that society to have a small bottle of, of oil, of perfume, that could be in today's um, monetary uh, price hundreds or even potentially thousands of dollars. And if you think about that, uh, it really hasn't changed much, has it? I know I can't afford perfume that expensive, uh, but we know, of course, that there is perfume that is made today that is hundreds and even thousands of dollars uh, for a bottle that, that, that's very, very expensive. And what, <clears throat> what God is telling us here is that something that precious and that expensive can be ruined by just a little folly. Just as a fly could fall into uh, a bottle of oil or just as a fly could lay eggs, you know, it's kind of disgusting to think about it, and that that could ruin that bottle of oil, that bottle of perfume. A little folly can ruin a good reputation. So something to, <clears throat> to be uh, considered, something to think about, that we can be known for uh, wisdom and generosity and, and honor, but yet a little mistake can ruin that reputation. And we won't, of course, name names, but you think about those people who have fallen from, uh, from grace, so to speak. They've, um, their reputation has been tarnished. You think of, of sports figures and political figures and, and so forth uh, that were involved in various scandals. And it's very hard, uh, it's often impossible for them to recover their reputation. So reputation is <clears throat> very important. God makes that clear. Benjamin Franklin, who I'm sure many of you are familiar with, Benjamin Franklin was a, a, a wise man, a philosopher. <clears throat> he is quoted as saying that glass, china, and reputation are easily cracked and never mended well. I think that's a, a very astute observation. Have you ever dropped a nice tea cup or coffee cup or some sort of porcelain or some sort of glass figurine and it broke and you tried to put it together with super glue? I know I've done that uh, from time to time where I've broken something and I've tried to put it together. You can rarely put it together <clears throat> in a way that, that, where, where those flaws are not noticeable. And personally, I've, I've never been able to put something together and make it look perfect as if it weren't cracked. And that's what Benjamin Franklin is saying, that, that a, <clears throat> a reputation, a good reputation can be, can be cracked and it's not easily mended. Another quote uh, from a uh, figure of, of, of history, General Sam Houston. Uh, many of you may not know who Sam Houston was. He was the, the first and third uh, president of the Republic of Texas, and he became a U.S. senator after Texas joined the, the Union. <clears throat> and when the, uh, the Civil War was, was beginning, uh, General Sam Houston refused to take a lo an oath of loyalty to the Confederacy. He didn't want to be involved in bloodshed between brothers, and he didn't support um, <clears throat> some of the things that were going on there, and so he wanted to step back from that. And he, he said famously the following. He had, there was a lot of pressure on him to, to take a side, and there was a lot of pressure on him to, to, uh, to uh, sign an oath of loyalty to the Confederacy. And he stepped back <clears throat> and he said, quote, I would give no thought of what the world might say of me if I could only transmit to posterity the reputation of an honest man. Now, General Sam Houston later came uh, came back into politics and was known as an honest man and became a U.S. senator, as I just mentioned. And he uh, he he goes down in history of as a as a as a gentleman and and as someone who was known for a good reputation. But notice <clears throat> where his mind was. He wanted his rep reputation that would be transmitted to posterity. He wanted that to be uh, one that was seen as being a good, uh, decent, and honest man. Christ is, of course, our most uh, perfect example. He is the only perfect example. And let's turn to Philippians chapter 2 and see what Christ's uh, characteristics were, what his character was, and, and the reputation that he then um, <clears throat> transmits down to posterity 
uh, for us, sort of alluding back to General Sam Houston's desire. So Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7. I'll begin in verse 5. Here Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ. So referring to our mind, our character. And Paul continues, uh, regarding Christ, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Here we see revealed in one of many passages that Christ, who Uh, created the whole universe. We know that God created everything through Christ. Uh, He did not see it being below him to empty himself and become a a little speck of dirt, humanly speaking, physically speaking. You know, we are just little specks of dirt on on this planet. And so the great almighty creator emptied himself of that. And he was one that did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He was equal with God. He was also God. But he emptied himself to become as one of us. And he humbled himself even to the uh, death of the cross, as it says in verse 8. What a powerful example of humility. What a powerful reputation, powerful example of reputation. We're in Philippians. Let's notice in verse 14, Paul continues, Do all things without uh, complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless, that that our reputation may be one that's blameless. How often are we tempted to dispute, complain, murmur, grumble, uh, be critical? We, we shouldn't do those things. God tells us to, to become blameless, not to have a reputation as someone who is uh, uh, contentious and who murmurs and who, who um, complains, but instead to be blameless. Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. We are to shine as lights, as examples. We are to not be like the world, crooked and perverse and complaining and involved in all kinds of of sin and, and having a bad reputation. We are to have a good reputation and be lights to the world. <clears throat> Let's turn over a page to Philippians 4, verse 5, another familiar passage. Philippians 4, verse 5, let your gentleness be known to all men. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Our reputation is important to God. He wants us to have a good reputation. He wants our gentleness to be known to all men. Elsewhere, and I'll reference this later in the sermon, we're told to be easily entreated. We are to be people who are easy to get along with. We are, of course, to never compromise in God's law to never compromise according to what God's will is. We are to be zealous and bold in preaching the gospel and standing up for the truth, to have a reputation as being zealous and bold. We'll talk about that later as well. But we're also to be meek. We're also to not be contentious. We're to be honest. We are to have a good reputation. Our reputation, of course, can also be corrupted. And we're aware of this. We all know this. We're very aware of this. But again, what is God's perspective on reputation? We've seen how important it is. And what is God's perspective and what is God's advice? What is God's counsel to us regarding how our reputation can possibly be affected in a bad way if we're not careful? Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And do please turn to 1 Corinthians 15 and read this. In your own Bible, I think it's important for us to to really take this uh, admonition to heart. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. But some will say, well, I have good habits. I, I have a strong character. I I'm being a light to this other person. I'm trying to raise them up. God says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts even good habits. We need to be careful. We need to be careful in who our close friends are and regarding who we spend a lot of time with, lest we deceive ourselves and we say, well, I'm bringing them up. Well, possibly we are, but if we spend too much time 
uh, with evil company, then we deceive ourselves because we will be brought down. We will be brought down. Dr. Meredith is famous for referencing uh, the saying that I think, you know, he grew up with, uh, accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative, and don't mess with Mr. In-Between. We need to, to accentuate the positive in our lives, in our reading, in our entertainment, in our friendships. Uh, we need to eliminate the negative. Eliminate the negative in our lives, in our friendships, in our entertainment, in our reading. And don't mess with Mr. In-Between. We, we really shouldn't spend too much time with, with Mr. In-Between either. I won't turn there for sake of time, but Proverbs 12, verse 26 tells us to choose our friends carefully Proverbs 12, verse 26, because the wicked will lead you astray. Choose our friends carefully. The wicked will lead us astray. Let's turn to 2 Samuel, and we will illustrate that that proverb with a a real account. 2 Samuel, verse uh, chapter 20, something that happened uh, in, in ancient Israel. 2 Samuel, chapter 20. You'll notice something very interesting that God reveals, 2 Samuel 20. We won't read the whole story, but we see in verse uh, verse 1, 2 Samuel chapter 20, verse 1, there happened to be there a rebel whose name was Sheba, the son of Bichri, a Benjamite, and he blew a trumpet and said. Now, what's going on here? We don't have time for the whole story, but if you back up a few uh, verses, you'll see this is during the time of David. David wasn't perfect. No one is perfect except for Christ. There's no perfect governance except for the governance that comes from Christ and God and their, their throne. But David was God's anointed. David was, was mostly a good king, and, and he was a good king. He will be the, the king over uh, the tribes of Israel in the millennium. <clears throat> so he was to be uh, respected, uh, obeyed, loved uh, by, the, by the people. And we have this person, Sheba, during David's reign, who was a rebel. He blew a trumpet, verse 1, and said, We have no share in David. We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, verse 2. Notice, so every man of Israel deserted David and followed Sheba, the son of Bichri. But the men of Judah from the Jordan, as far as Jerusalem, remained loyal to their king. So, Second uh, Samuel 2 verse 12 tells us that this, this rebel came along during the reign of a good king, King David, a man after God's own heart. He blows the trumpet, he works up the people, and did just one or two people follow him, brethren? Did just a couple people follow him? What is the lesson that we can take away from this? Well, evil company corrupts good habits is a lesson. <clears throat> but another lesson we can take away is that there's something in human nature, carnal nature, that wants to follow a rebel, that's willing to rebel. The carnal mind wants to rebel. The carnal mind we know is enmity against God, but the carnal mind often wants to be in a rebellious spirit. And so we saw that the people rebelled against David. That's why we're told, let's notice in Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, verse 28, That's why we are warned throughout Scripture. Romans 1, verse 28 is one of a number of passages that make this point. That's why we're told to be very, very careful and not associate with people who are rebels, who who bring us down, who are practicing evil. Romans 1, verse 28. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge and gave them over to a debased mind to do things which were not fitting... And then verse 29, Paul talks about uh, various types of of immorality and sexual uh, sin and wickedness and covetousness. But notice also we have here envy, strife. Strife is listed right up there with homosexuality. Strife is listed right up there with, you know, uh, general wickedness and covetousness and even murder. Pause and think about that. Where there is strife, Satan is at work. God's word says that strife is 
is similar to and, and, and is as evil as murder, adultery, boasting, and so forth. <clears throat> this is unrighteousness, according to verse 29. And notice, as we come further down into that, that passage, verse 30, backbiters, haters of God, disobedient to parents and so forth, untrustworthy, unmerciful, and forgiving. We need to be forgiving of others, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice these things are deserving of death. Very powerful language here, brethren. We, we need to ask ourselves, are we guilty of any of these types of, of sins toward God? You know, uh, hopefully none of us are guilty of, of uh, murder or adultery uh, or, uh, you know, some of these more seemingly worse sins. But do we sometimes strive against authority? Do we sometimes <clears throat> um, say things that are deceitful? Are we sometimes whisperers? Are we sometimes backbiters? Do we sometimes boast? Are we sometimes proud? Are we sometimes disobedient to parents? Are we sometimes unforgiving? Are we sometimes unmerciful? Brethren, God's word says that, that those sins are like the others and those sins also are deserving of death. And not only those who practice those sins, but also those who approve of those who practice those sins. Now, I doubt that any of us would get together frequently with people who are murdering throughout the week. If you knew that there were people that were just going out murdering all the time, you wouldn't get together with them all the time, would you? And say, let's, let's go uh, you know, out and have, have lunch and let's, uh, let's just hang out. You wouldn't do that. But do we approve of and associate with people who are backbiters, who are disobedient to, uh, to authority, who are deceitful, evil-minded? We have to be very careful, brethren, <clears throat> to guard ourselves. And we have to be very careful and understand that God says that those who approve of those who practice these things are even deserving of death. Of course, any of these things, any sins can be repented of. We understand that. But to repent of a sin and to repent of, of approving of those who practice those sins means you turn completely away from it. You turn completely away and you go in fear and you go humbly to Jesus Christ, to his throne, a throne of mercy, and to God the Father, and you pray for forgiveness, you pray that his blood will wash you clean from those sins, and you remove those sins from you, and you remove associating with those people from you. <clears throat> We're still talking about God's uh, p position, God's opinion regarding reputation. I would like to give us four quick uh, character admonitions, four specific character traits that it would be wonderful that we could be known for. Four character traits that I believe are part of a good reputation. Now, there are many others. You could list another 10 easily, but these are four that I picked, and I picked them for a certain reason. So four specific character traits <clears throat> that help build a good reputation and, frankly, also help build good character. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy 2 verse 15. The first character trait <clears throat> that we should strive to be known for, 2 Timothy 2 verse 15, is we should be <clears throat> known as Christians, we should be known for knowing our Bibles, for knowing God's word, for knowing scripture. 2 Timothy 2 verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Brethren, this is a admonition to each of us, myself as well, that we need to be diligent. We can't be slack. We can't be lazy. We must study our Bibles every single day. Dr. Meredith encourages us to do this frequently. Mr. Ames encourages us to do this frequently. How many articles have come out in the Living Church News that encourage us to study our Bible, to meditate on God's Word every single day. More and more, brethren, as we see these perilous times approaching, we must draw close to God. We will grow in faith if we study our Bibles 
prayerfully every day. We, we take in of God's word. We need to be diligent to present ourselves approved to God where our reputation is that we are known by God and by others for knowing our Bibles, for knowing our scriptures, that those words, God's words, live in our hearts. That is the first specific admonition I would like to have us think about in the sermon today, <clears throat> that we need to be known for knowing our Bibles. Dr. Meredith uh, mentioned, or he wrote in a recent Tomorrow's World article titled, Are You Ready for Tough Times Ahead? He wrote, <clears throat> you must prepare. So how can you prepare for what is coming? First and foremost, if God is calling you, be sure to seek him with your whole heart and soul, Deuteronomy 4, 29. Read your Bible daily. Do not just glance at it for a warm feeling or for warm feelings you may get from Psalms or Proverbs. Study it, all of it, with all of the seriousness at your command, for it is God's very instruction manual for your life. And it is. Do we take Dr. Meredith's admonition seriously? Do, I, do we study our Bible every day, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour every day? There are certain days I, I know I'm guilty where I don't study my Bible as much as I should. You know, the, the day gets away from me. Well, that's just an excuse. That's just an excuse. I didn't forget to eat. I didn't forget to breathe. I didn't forget to put on my clothes. So we know that's just an excuse. And, and I, I'm guilty as well sometimes where I, I don't do as much Bible study that day as I, as I know I should have. We must study our Bibles diligently every day, brethren. Be known for that. Number two. Number two. So the first admonition is that we would be known for knowing our Bibles. Let's turn back to Philippians chapter 1. <clears throat> what else can we be known for? Philippians chapter 1. What else should we be uh, known for as Christians that reflect God and Christ living in us? We should be known for knowing and approving of excellent things. We should be known for knowing of and approving excellent things. Now, what does that mean? Let's, let's read Philippians chapter 1, verse 10 and, 10 and 11. Verse 10, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, in the glory, or to the glory and praise of God. What God is telling us here is that through Christ living in us and through diligent prayer and Bible study and fasting and meditation, through living righteously, through practicing what we read in Scripture, we will be known for practicing righteousness. We will be known for living a life that is excellent. We will be known for excellent things. God's law is excellent. God's word is excellent. God's instructions to us are excellent. And so the more we feed on Christ, the more we take in God's law, the more we live a godly life, the more we show Christ living in us, then the more that we are known for these excellent things. Brethren, I'm not excellent myself. Humanly, I am corrupt. But anything that I show the world, any, any reputation that's a good reputation that I exhibit, that I that I project, anything that's good coming from me, it's because God's merciful with me. It's because I've read God's word and because Christ lives in me and I'm trying in a, in a frail human way as best as I can. Uh, I'm trying to, to live that way. And, and it's really Christ who reflects a good reputation in us when Christ lives in us. So we will be known for excellent things if we have Christ living in us and if we study God's word daily. <clears throat> Secondly, or I'm sorry, third, we should be known for not letting any corrupt communication uh, leave our, our lips. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. This is a very rich verse, Ephesians 4, verse 29. <clears throat> and I'll elaborate on the verse just for a, a moment. Maybe help us think about this verse in a way that we, we, we perhaps haven't thought of before. Ephesians 4, verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Okay, that makes sense. We understand that. So we shouldn't swear, curse, 
use euphemisms, take God's name in vain. But we also shouldn't speak evil of people. We shouldn't lie. We shouldn't boast and so forth. So let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. We understand that. But let's read the rest of the verse and meditate for a moment on what God is telling us here. But instead of corrupt words, Paul continues, what should proceed from our mouth is what is good for necessary edification. That is a very interesting phrase. What is good for necessary edification or for building up should proceed from our mouths. So instead of corrupt communication, negative, tearing down, lying, boasting, whatever, proceeding from our our mouth, instead, what is good and necessary for edification, for building up, should proceed from our mouths. Now, a well cannot produce uh, bitter water and sweet water. You know, a a well cannot produce um, uh, uh, tainted, polluted water, but also at the same time, fresh, clean water. So how is it that we can have words coming out of our mouth that are pure and clean and good? Well, we, we know the answer. We have to get rid of any pollution. How do we get rid of any pollution? Through prayer, through study, through Bible study, through meditation, through fasting, through, through drawing close to God. We must, brethren, be able to have words that come from us that are good for edification, for building up. And now notice the conclusion of that verse. What's the goal? What's the purpose of that edification that comes from our mouths, from your mouth, that God expects you and me to be able to to, to, to have, to, to give those words of edification to others. What is the goal? The goal is, verse 29, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Brethren, what a wonderful, wonderful uh, privilege and blessing and, and truth that if we live and practice and speak according to God's law, if we let those fresh waters, those, those pure, clean waters come out of our mouth, then those are edifying waters. Those build up people. And brethren, we can be a small part of helping impart grace to the hearers. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about the fact that through how we behave, how we communicate with others, through the reputation that we have, we can help impart grace to others? That's what your your Bible says. That's what Scripture says. We can help build up others so that they are exhorted and that they then desire to draw closer to God, come more into the, the center of the body of Christ to maybe overcome some problem that they've been dealing with. You can be part of that, brethren. That's a powerful, powerful truth. <clears throat> so let's not let any corrupt communication proceed from our, our mouth. That is something that we should work on. And instead, let's let good edifying communication come from our mouth. And finally, the fourth point that I'd like to have us think about is that we need to maintain good works. Sometimes we think of good works as going out and doing physical service, and that is important. Dr. Meredith has encouraged us to create an outreach program here in the headquarters congregation. And it's a, it's a real blessing and a real joy to be able to occasionally go into the community or help serve brethren in various ways as part of that program. And we know that throughout the world, uh, many of, of the local congregations are starting to, to do this as well. Now, I also want to say that we understand and Dr. Meredith understands that, that as Christians, you, you go out and you serve in various ways uh, without letting people know. And we know that the church does that. We know that each of us do serve and give to others. Outreach is not to replace that, but outreach is a way to do that in a little bit more of a group setting and do larger projects that maybe you couldn't do by yourself. We often think of good works as physical works, and yes, that is a part of what good works are. But brethren, our good works can also be what we communicate. It can also be our reputation that we, that we shine, that, that, that positive light that we shine, that can also be a good work. Our living a righteous life, being friendly, what we do, how we discuss things with others, if we're uplifting and exhort, exhortative with others, that can also be a good work. <clears throat> we need to maintain those good works. Titus chapter 3, verse 8 says that uh, <clears throat> this is a faithful saying, and these things I want to, uh, I want to affirm, 
constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. But notice then the next verse. It's not talking about going out and mowing somebody's yard. It's not talking about, uh, you know, physical work. It's the next verse, verse 9, says, avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, strivings about the law. Uh, These are unprofitable and useless. Verse 10, reject someone who is divisive. Reject someone who is divisive. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinning and and that they are self-condemned. So when we maintain good works, we help edify, lift up others, don't we, brethren? And Paul, he makes it very clear that, you know, this, that it's very important that we uh, maintain good conversation as well. Avoid contentions. So we must maintain good work. So four admonitions. Be known for knowing our Bibles. Uh, Be known for knowing and practicing excellent things. Approving of excellent things. Number three, uh, no corrupt communication. Instead, positive, uplifting communication. And fourth, maintain good works. I'd like to discuss now briefly another uh, aspect of reputation, and that is our online or social media reputation. I won't spend too much time on this, but I would like to ask a number of questions. What type of entertainment do we enjoy? What type of movies do we go to see? What type of books do we read? What type of music do we listen to? What type of television programs do we watch? Now, a follow-up question to that is, do we talk about these things on social media? Do we like, do we, you know, click like on movies and books and music and so forth or activities that are, are not becoming of a Christian, that are not godly? I'd also like to ask, do we use social media to tear up? I'm sorry, to, to tear down or to build up? Do we use social, social media and Facebook especially, but, you know, email? And this would apply to phone calls as well. But do we use social media to exhort, to build up, or to tear down people? Do we use social media to exhort and to praise and, and encourage? Or do we use it to attack and argue and hurt? Often not knowing the whole story about something, being, being you know, ill-informed. Do our social media posts reflect Jesus Christ? Or do they reflect <clears throat> the God of this world, which is Satan? Regarding Facebook and regarding social media, let's turn to Proverbs chapter 10, Proverbs 10, verse 19. Proverbs 10, verse 19. One of the dangers regarding social media and uh, Facebook is one of the the, the big platforms where this can, uh, can happen very easily. <clears throat> One of the big dangers is that people are tempted to talk a lot. They're tempted to talk a lot. They're tempted to express opinions about things that they don't know much about. They're, they're tempted to get engaged in various arguments with others. They're tempted to talk a lot. Notice here in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19, we are told, that in a multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains himself is wise. In a multitude of words, sin is not lacking. And we need to be very careful, brethren, in our conversations. That applies to social media, but that also, of course, applies to one-on-one conversations. Many people today, they believe they have to have a lot of friends on Facebook. They believe they have to have conversations with lots and lots of friends on Facebook. Is it, is it important to have hundreds or even dozens of friends on Facebook that we don't maybe even know? Maybe they don't really even share the same values that we, we share. Maybe they're not really talking about things that are uplifting, that are, that are edifying. We, we know, of course, that, that we shouldn't strive for lots of friends that don't reflect uh, Christ in them, that don't reflect good values. George Washington, another quote for you today, He commented, of course, many, many years ago, the first president of the United States of America, well before Facebook, of course, he commented that we need to, quote, associate with men of good quality if you esteem your own reputation, for it is better to be alone than in bad company. Think about that for a minute. 
Better to be alone than in bad company. Better to have one Facebook friend or five Facebook friends or 15 or 20 Facebook friends than to have hundreds and hundreds, and many of them are not of good quality. So again, what books and, and movies and entertainment do we uh, enjoy, do we participate in, and what do we talk about in social media? We need to judge this ourselves, but should we be watching and should we be posting about things like Twilight or Fifty Shades of Grey? Go to the tomorrowsworld.org website or the lcg.org website and you can search in the search box and there are articles and commentaries about these books and movies and entertainment that, that caution us, brethren, to use wisdom. To, to, to not get involved in uh, books and movies and entertainment that deal with sorcery, demons, vampires, fornication, lust, uh, adultery, uh, just, uh, th that, are, that are pornographic. You know, Fifty Shades of Grey is a very popular book series, and it is pornography. It is pornography. I'll say it twice. Not just my opinion. Not just my opinion. There's a Forbes article that came out in July of this year, 2014, and it calls Fifty Shades of Grey pornography for women. And many, many worldly commentators uh, have said that. Should we be reading these things? Should we be watching actual pornography? Should we be uh, reading and watching things about vampires and sorcery? You know, uh, sorcerers will not, they're, they're going to go in the lake of fire, tells us in Revelation. In throughout the Old Testament, we are told that sorcery and witchcraft is an abomination, that those people should be killed who practice those things in the Old Testament. We don't, we don't do that uh, in the New Testament. <clears throat> Psalm 119.97, I won't turn there, but it says that we should love God's law. We should meditate on God's law all day long. We should be meditating on God's law on what is good, what is uplifting, not on things that are evil, that are wrong. And we should be talking about things, frankly, on social media that are uplifting. There's a lot of things we can talk about that are a joy. We can talk about the Feast of Tabernacles. We can talk about youth camps. We can talk about some, uh, there is some entertainment that's, that's not bad, not much, but there is some entertainment that's not bad. There are, you know, God is a God of joy. He wants us to have a, a, a joyful life, a a good life, but he wants us to have a life where what we do is based on his values, his principles. And so it is harder in the world today to find entertainment and things to do that are godly. I, we all understand that. But that doesn't give us an excuse, brethren. <clears throat> so what movies and entertainment do we watch and what do we talk about on social media? As the end of the age approaches, brethren... I think a question we need to ask ourselves is, are we hiding who we are from the world? I asked earlier if we are guilty of any type of hypocrisy. Are we being true Christians and are we, being, uh, are we willing to say that we are Christians, that we stand up for Christ, for, certain, for, for biblical values, or do we hide from that? Christ tells us in Matthew 10, verse 33, let's turn there quickly, Matthew 10, verse 33, that if we confess... Matthew 10, verse 32, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. This includes on social media. Are you willing to say on Facebook that you are a member of the living church of God, you keep God's Sabbath and holy days, and you believe that Jesus Christ is King of kings and he will return, and that you love him and you are a real Christian? Or do we hide these things? Christ says, if we confess him before men, he will confess us before the Father. But if we deny him before men, he will deny us before the Father who is in heaven. Do we want to risk, brethren, do we want to put ourselves at risk of being denied by Christ because we've denied him? Because he looks at our Facebook page or our conversations and what he sees is negativism, 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 twilight, twilight, wrong stuff, drinking, alcohol, pornography, you know, violence, negativism, criticism. And he didn't see that you liked a Tomorrow's World article. He didn't say you had a conversation that was uplifting, that was good, 
with your spiritual brothers and sisters. He didn't see that. Do we want to put ourselves in that situation where we will be denied by Christ? In Isaiah 33, I wasn't planning on turning there, but it comes to mind. Let's turn to Isaiah 33, verse 15 and 16, I believe, is where this passage is. As the end of the age approaches, brethren, Isaiah 33, verses 15 and 16, I believe. As the end of the uh, age approaches, verse 14 asks us, uh, it says that the sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites, the hypocrites, those who who claim to be Christian, but really rejected Christ, did not want to 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 really reflect him in their conversations and their on in social media. And then the question is asked. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall shall dwell with everlasting burnings? And the answer, brethren, in verse 15, is the person who will survive the great tribulation, the day of the Lord, who will become a God being at Christ's return, the answer is the, the person who walks righteously, who speaks uprightly, who despises the gain of oppressions, who gestures with his hands, refuses bribes. And that includes also, not just monetary, that includes your friends, Do not let your friends bribe you. And this is more to the younger people. But older people are guilty of this sometimes as well. Do not desire friendship with those who are uh, not true Christians, who are not practicing uh, Christianity like they should, who who are practicing evil, who are divisive. Do not desire friendship with people that are enemies of Christ. They can repent, but they're enemies of Christ. Do not desire that. And... Treat that like a bribe. That, that's what people sometimes do. Younger people sometimes in school, they, they will try to um, befriend the, the, the popular people um, it, it, and they want to have one reputation with them, but then they want to come to church and play church. No, we have to, we have to reject that bribe, the bribe that we, can, that we can be the popular people, the bribe that we can... Uh, be around people that uh, are exciting to us, the bribe that, that we can be part of the in crowd. If the in crowd is not a godly crowd, we don't want to be part of the in crowd. And of course, verse 16 tells us that that, that person will, will, will be protected. And this is a reference to the place of safety in verse 16, that their uh, defense will be the fortress, fortress of rocks and their, their bread will be given to them and their water will be sure. Brethren, let's not deny Christ now Uh, amongst our friends and be at risk of him denying our bread and water during the great tribulation let's not deny christ now on social media and be in jeopardy of him denying us before god the father our reputation it matters he's looking at our reputation he's looking at my reputation so let's now talk as we wrap up We'll talk for a few minutes about a Philadelphian reputation, a good, godly Philadelphian reputation. A wise man or woman or or child is known by their reputation. What is our reputation? And is our reputation a Philadelphian reputation, a godly, converted Christian reputation? But specifically, are we Philadelphians? James 1, verse 22. I won't turn there. You know it. James 1.22 tells us, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Any Christian, any Christian in, in, in any era of God's church needs to be a doer of the word. But especially now, brethren, at the end of the age. Henry Ford, another quote for us, he said famously, you can't build a reputation on what you are going to do. Your reputation is not built on what you say you'll do. Your reputation is built on what you have done and what you do. You can't build a reputation on what you're going to do. Time is running out, brethren. Time is running out. One day we will be out of time and we will not be able to say to God, well, I'm going to do more Bible study tomorrow and I'm going to start being more uplifting tomorrow and I'm going to really pay my full tithes Uh, tomorrow, and I'm going to start keeping your Sabbath holy tomorrow, and I'm going to quit being unmerciful, and I'm going to quit being boastful, and I'm going to quit 
being guilty of little lies, and I'm going to quit being mean and cruel. I'm going to quit doing those things. I'm going to start being better tomorrow. Your reputation is built on what you have done, not what you're going to do. And one day we will not have more time, brethren. We will not have more time to build that reputation before Christ will have to decide, frankly, who goes to the place of safety, who doesn't, who's worthy to be protected, who's not, and ultimately who's worthy to be a first fruit and who's not. James chapter 3, I mentioned James 1.22. Let's turn to James 3 verse 17. This uh, sermon, brethren, is about reputation. Reputation is a reflection of our character. But this sermon is also, in a way, about wisdom. About wisdom. The wise man, the wise woman, the wise child will hear these words. They will um, strive to, to be wise, to, to, to heed God's instruction. And in doing so, they will strive to develop a better reputation and, and, and in fact, develop better character. And James 3, verse 17, talks about wisdom. Notice in James 3, 17, <clears throat> we are told that, that the wisdom that is from above, godly wisdom, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Is our reputation, brethren, a reputation that achieves the James 3, uh, 17 level? Is our reputation one where we are pure, without sin? Are, are we practicing sin? Do we have sin still in our life in these little dark corners? God will help us root that out, but much better to repent and get rid of that sin sooner rather than later. Is our reputation one where we are uh, pure? Is our reputation one of being peacemakers? Are we peaceable? Are we peaceable? Or do we think the worst of others? And do we stir up strife? And do we attack the ministry? And do we murmur and argue? Are we gentle? Are we will, willing to yield? Is our reputation that when we are corrected or when we are asked to do something that we are willing to yield? God says that the wisdom from above is pure, is peaceable, is willing to yield. It's also full of mercy. Do we have a reputation with God of being merciful? I try to practice mercy because I know I need mercy. I need mercy to be given to me by God and by others. We all do. We all, you know, we all make mistakes. We all rub people the wrong way. None of us are perfect. We better give mercy if we expect to get mercy. Do we <clears throat> exhibit good fruits? Are we known for good fruits? Do we show partiality? God hates partiality. God hates that. God there, there are parables that Christ gave. We don't have time for them but uh, in the sermon today, but God hates partiality. If you show favoritism to someone, um, unfairly so. Now, if someone shows good works and good character, and then, then you, you do earn um, uh, respect from people, and you can be asked to, you know, uh, you can be given a certain responsibility because you, you've proven that you can handle it. But partiality, brethren, where we are unfair, God hates that. He hates hypocrisy. <clears throat> Verse 18, now the fruit of righteousness is, shown in, is sown in peace by those who make peace. Notice how important peace is to God. Notice, brethren, that the wisdom from, a, from above is all of these things. And the conclusion is that the fruits of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The, the, the result of wisdom from above and of this good reputation, the reputation of being a peacemaker and pure and peaceable and willing to yield and so forth is peace, is peace. We need to be known for good works. A Philadelphian brethren is going to be zealous for preaching the gospel. But I didn't want to begin with that point when I discussed a Philadelphian reputation because a Philadelphian is also one who shows and exhibits brotherly love, love for their spiritual brothers and sisters. A Philadelphian is going to be a Christian who loves 
their brother, their sister who uplifts, exhorts, edifies. Remember we read about that, that through doing that we can build someone up. Let's turn to, of course, uh, Mark 16, verse 15 is one of many passages, but we know, of course, that a Philadelphian will also be zealous for, for doing the work of God, for preaching the gospel, for having their heart, their prayers, their tithes, their, their offerings, their conversations will be supportive of, will be involved in, will be backing doing the work, doing the work of preaching the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ will return and set up God's kingdom on the earth. We, we, we could turn to many scriptures, but Mark 16, verse 15. So Christ, <clears throat> of course, was, was risen after the crucifixion. <clears throat> he was risen. He, went, he ascended to heaven and, and uh, came back and appeared to the eleven. And he tells them in verse 15, Go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. A Philadelphian will be doing this as well. A Philadelphian will be, uh, their heart will be in the work. <clears throat> Let's also note, brethren, as we begin to wrap up, that we're not going to be loved by the world for showing these, these godly fruits. Let's turn to uh, John, 5, John chapter 15. Showing these godly fruits, being a Philadelphian Christian, this is not going to earn us the love of the world. John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. If you have a thousand Facebook friends and you're going off and seeing all the wrong movies and you're engaged in all the wrong conversations and you're thinking all the wrong thoughts and you're showing favoritism and trying to be in with the in crowd and you're breaking God's Sabbath and you're cheating on your wife and you're cheating on your husband and you're cheating on your taxes and you're you know, involved in all kinds of corrupt things, then yeah, the world will love you. The world will love you. That's what the world loves. But if you abstain from those things and you try to be a peacemaker and you try to keep the Sabbath holy and have uplifting thoughts, well, the world, the carnal world, the world will not, <clears throat> will not love you. Christ says the world will hate you. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hate you. But Christ chose us, brethren. He chose you. He chose me. Maybe some of you who hear this, he is, uh, he's still in the process of calling. What is important, brethren, is that our creator, our high priest, Jesus Christ, has chosen us, that we reflect his character, his reputation. Not that the world is impressed with us, not that the world loves us. The world has martyred and, and, and persecuted God's, God's saints, the prophets of old. We're not seeking the world's love. We're seeking Christ's love, His approval. We want a relationship with Christ that will last forever. We want to exhibit a reputation today that God can look at and say, that's who I want in my kingdom forever. Mr. Weston wrote about this in a recent Tomorrow's World article titled Reputation, Character, and Leadership. I really encourage uh, all of us to go back, find this article, go to our website. It's the November-December uh, 2013 Tomorrow's World, uh, Reputation, Character, and Leadership uh, by Mr. Weston. And he wrote <clears throat> the following, Human nature, which is made up of vanity, lust, greed, and selfish ambition, is the common shortcoming of people everywhere. To solve this problem, God is... Uh, God is working with a few men and women today whom he will appoint to positions of leadership at Christ's return. These are not the elite of the world. And he references 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. But are people who possess the basics of leadership, self-sacrifice, outgoing concern for those governed. They are learning during this lifetime the way of give, rather than the way of get. And as Dr. Meredith wrote in a different article, uh, March, April 2014, <clears throat> why don't most churches preach the truth? 
as he wrote, continuing that thought, true Christians observe the Sabbath, the biblical holy days, the festivals, etc. They're in fact pioneers, Dr. Meredith writes. They are not only following the pattern of the original Christianity taught and practiced by Jesus Christ, but they are pioneering a way of life which all nations will soon learn in tomorrow's world. Brethren, the way of give, the way of outgoing concern for others, practicing godly love toward others, being zealous about the gospel of the kingdom of God, these are things that God is looking for. That is the reputation He wants us to strive for. If we strive for these things and we are the salt of the earth, we are a light set on a set on a hill. If we develop these godly characteristics and a godly reputation, then we glorify God our Father in heaven and we will live and reign under Christ forever and ever in His kingdom.